Welcome to Silencing Women in the Name of God. I'm Devery Alice. Today I have on Sierra. <laughs> Sierra's interview did not go where I thought it was going to go. <laughs> we talked about some of the really important things that we had talked about in the pre-interview um, around getting married very, very young, you know, leaning on this idea of, of God-ordained spouses and just so, so many things that can go wrong with that. But in the end, <laughs> Sierra ended up complimenting me relentlessly, which was slightly embarrassing. However, what we really end up talking about is the power that we have to influence one another when we speak, when we are ourselves, even when we're trying to be ourselves and feeling like we are horribly failing in that effort, that our ripples of influence are touching people that we don't even see. And it honestly, it was powerful for me. Um, it shifted something permanently for me. And I really hope that the things that we've talked about can open everyone's eyes and shift everybody just a little bit closer to understanding the power that our voices and our true selves can have in this world. If there was ever a popcorn episode, this is it. listening is like what do you mean this is the first time we've seen her who is this chick i know we so sierra and i on the last recording had quite a few technical difficulties <laughs> and so we have rescheduled our recording so poor i know we so this what is what is this take is this take five i somewhere in there i don't five, know five six seven we don't know we lost count um so i have been long excited. enough that it'll all be fresh it it will. It will. In fact, I've come up with new shit since the last time I talked oh, to you. So this because is because you. Mm, <laughs> I promise mm, I won't drop anything new on you. I won't. Whatever. You're I'll a liar. You already. It's such a liar. <laughs> so she was so excited because the last time she dropped a new piece of information on me, and I freaked out and lost my mind. It and, was great. Uh, it was. I'm you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so she. We're gonna talk about it. I'm sure. But there's no way that you don't have new stuff planned because you were sad that we lost the me losing my Oh, life. man, it was so good. I wish we had that <laughs> recording, too. <laughs> I mean, I could I could try again. I could try to replicate it. I could probably get close. What oh. is so funny about those types of scenarios is your, your story becomes part of your normal and you forget how abnormal it is until you tell somebody for the first time and you watch them lose their minds right oh it's so true it's so true like people react and you're like wait what that's weird like I didn't <laughs> I yeah. didn't realize that was weird 
weird. Uh, yes. See, and when we get back to that point, I'll be like, this was it, people. This was the thing she thought was totally normal. Um, <laughs> goodness, goodness, goodness. So, no, I am so excited you rescheduled um, because your story is amazing and everybody needs to hear it. Um, okay. Let's, let's just, let's just get going. Okay. Okay. I'm all about um, it. Oh, actually I lied. I never even introduced. Oh man. Listen, if everyone listening hasn't figured out that I did a podcast this morning already, they will shortly as I clearly do not have a brain. Okay. Sierra and I met because we actually lived in the same subdivision. Yeah. Um, you moved into your sister's house for a while. Uh, and so we got to know each other and, and everybody Sierra. called me by her name for <laughs> months. And, oh, 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 I, that's true. They did, huh? They did. You guys look <laughs> similar, but like, you don't look identical. Um, so Sierra was actually a huge part of me publishing my first fiction novel. And I just, I just think credit should go where credit is due. So I had written my very first book. I had no idea what I was doing. It was a train wreck. Um, and I told Sierra about it and she was like, can I read it? And I was like, oh goodness. <laughs> uh, okay. And she, sh I'm pretty sure you came to my house. Cause I have this memory of you like on I my did. doorstep. Yeah. And you were like, Hey, like it's, it's really great. Um, but can I, would you mind if I edited this for you? <laughs> I just, can I make some notes? <laughs> Yes, and, and it and comes I was back like, bleeding. <laughs> it's yeah, it always. It never stops coming back bleeding. That is that is what it is. That is the process. Oh my goodness! Um, I feel like you got me back though for all of the times I made your book bleed. Did I? How did I get you well, back? Well, the I character you named after obvious? me was eaten oh! by hellhounds. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, what are we talking about? Okay, yes, I did. I did kill her character. I ki killed the character that I named after her, but I'm pretty sure you asked me to do that, so I don't think it counts as revenge. I did ask you to name the character after <laughs> me, so but I do. It's still funny. <laughs> it is still funny. It is. Uh, so yeah, no, she edited it, and then. Okay, showed up back. I don't know if you called this time, but you showed back up again. I was like, so there's a writing conference. And I was like, I don't know. You were like, no, no, you're going. And I was like, mm, I don't and you were like, I will be going with you so that you will be okay. <laughs> and she did. She dragged me down there. I ended up getting my first book published as a direct result of that particular writing conference. So yeah, Sierra gets a lot of credit for getting me on to this path journey. which actually kind of led to here which is funny what it was it was a good journey that was a good yeah it was a it's a good uh meet cute or cute meat whatever they call it hey devry let me read your book oh you know oh. like the movie speak and yeah cute. oh it's true like yeah, where they yeah, meet yeah, in the yeah, bookstore yeah. and you know uh -huh. their elbows yeah. bump or whatever <laughs> <laughs> or whatever or they show up on your doorstep and are like let me edit this yeah same thing yeah same that's thing. what it is uh-huh yeah so no, you get a lot of credit and I am so grateful for that because it did, it put me on this path where I learned how to write. And it's interesting because I, I mean, I don't think I've said this on any of the podcasts so far. I don't remember, but like, I want to publish a book around this. Actually, the book proposal, Silencing Women in the Name of God has been done for months before I decided to also do a podcast. And it was it was interesting because I was, I was writing it 
I could really see and identify like all of these very specific skill sets that I had developed through my fiction writing over book after book after book and, and learning these new skill sets that I was now able to apply over here in this project that felt so much more like a, I mean, for lack of a better word that doesn't sound cheesy and super religious, like it feels like a, a purpose, like a passion mm. purpose calling. And I, I have the skill set to do that because of, of fiction writing all of these years. So it's kind of beautiful. That is it's great. all like, like that. come full circle. Yeah. I don't know if you'd okay. mentioned the book to me yet. That's exciting. Oh yeah. It started with that. That was the very first idea. And if you listen to the first podcast episode, which um, I've totally done me. and have not put off. <laughs> you, excellent. Well, yet. then you'll know exactly what I'm referencing here. <laughs> um, <laughs> the very first, um, why this, why now is just like 30 minutes and it's just me. And I read this section um, that I really started having like come to me when I was in the bathtub and it's what triggered the book. It's what's triggered this and it's, it's beautiful and it's perfect. And I can't even claim it because I really don't feel like I wrote it. Like it just kept dropping into my head. Um, so yeah, so the book definitely came first. Okay. Mm -hmm. Did yeah, not crazy. Know that. That's yeah. cool. And the podcast is serving a very different purpose that I love and I could talk about it, but I'm not going to because this is your interview. So we are now going to do what I said I was going to do 10 minutes ago. Sierra, let's get started. Okay. Okay. So talk to us. So Sierra, obviously Mormon. We're in the same neighborhood, went to church um, together, yep. but talk to us about growing up so we can set the stage for everyone kind of for your story. So I grew up in a small rural town in Idaho and my town was a thousand people. Most people who uh, are Mormon and understand that like Utah, Idaho, Wyoming, small towns generally are all Mormon towns, but that was not the case in my town. My town Mormons were definitely the minority. I, in my junior high and high school of 150 kids, there were only six Mormons. So we were definitely on the outside edge, but the town itself was very conservative and very religious, uh, but lots of different religious sects, lots of Lutheran uh, community there. Uh, I think that the, the community Christian church probably had the most out of anybody um, because a lot of people identified with that. And the Mormons were the weird ones. Like they, they all thought we were freaky. But grew up in this tiny town, um, and I was always a very academic. I enjoyed school. I enjoyed trivia. I was the captain of, of my academic team from sixth grade to twelfth grade, and I was on the all-state team. And I would never have seen that coming. <laughs> <laughs> oh, addicted to Jeopardy, <laughs> but no, I'm shocked I was... by this revelation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I I really loved I love random uh, facts and I love learning and that reflected at school so I was very uh, focused at school especially the uh, last few years of my high school um, and I was known in my whole family for for being you know the the school kid the smart one and uh, 
there's some drawbacks to that because I wasn't allowed to be anything else. I wasn't allowed to be creative and I wasn't allowed to be musical or that I was the smart one and that was my job. But there was a cap to that um, sure. because I, I wasn't expected to go to college after high school um, unless it was to meet a husband and, and get married and start making babies. And I think that resonates with a lot of Mormon women that that's what, what are you planning on doing after high school? It's just whatever it is to get you in between for a lot of people to get you Mm -hmm. in between high school and marriage. And uh, that was certainly the case for me. I graduated high school and I met my husband immediately after like 30 days after I graduated high school. Oh, I don't think you gave me a day before 30 days, 30 days after I graduated high school. And we went on our first date two weeks later. And we were ring shopping three weeks after that. (laughs) And six weeks later, we got married. It was, I graduated high school May 31st and September 26th, I was married, like very fast. Uh Um, And 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 we've been married. Sorry. Go ahead. This is one of those things. This is not the thing we were referring to at the beginning, but this is another one of those things that for you a Mormon, formerly Mormon girl telling another formerly Mormon girl, like, oh yeah, we got, we met and we're married in six weeks. Like we're both like, oh yeah, like totally yeah, normal. Happens. And right. And someone else is like, I'm sorry. What did you just, <laughs> but that was the culture. Oh, absolutely. There's a great, great as in horrible, but super funny to me, a uh, Mormon movie called Singles Ward. And oh, I don't, I, I couldn't make myself watch that oh even as a Mormon. I was like, I can't do it. It's so bad. <laughs> There's this line in there. I can't remember the, the actor's name. It was like, Susie and Timmy met last week on the hayride and they're engaged. And like, it's super typical, especially it's, in it's singles. It's super board. true. Super true. Listen, I actually don't think I've ever told you this and I certainly have not shared the story on podcast, but, um, <laughs> so before so I met my husband on our missions because we were both missionaries so three years before that I was at Rick's college this is so when it was still Rick oh my god (laughs) yes I'm 80 I'm dating myself so it's now BYU Idaho it was Rick's um so I went up with my roommates to go listen to general conference we drove to Salt Lake um I stayed with one of my roommates families through a weird sequence of events. Like I ended up not being in the vehicle that went like where my rest of my roommates were. And like, I got stranded with her cousin. And so we spent all day together by that night. He kissed me. And then I still to this day do not remember what the hell happened, but like definite Mormon story of like, well, I just feel God told me that you're the one that I'm supposed to marry. Like we need to get married. And I was, I was 18, barely. I was 18 by like two months or something. And I remember being just so torn because I didn't really feel like this was someone that I would marry, but he pulled the God card on me. He pulled Mm. out that like, I prayed about it. Right. And so, like, I remember, like, being out in his yard at night, like, reading my scriptures, like, trying to decide. And by the next morning, I agreed. Like, I was like, okay, let's get married. We got a ring. Like, my parents were like, are you sure? (laughs) And I was 
like, yes. And then, yeah. So I can't remember how long we were engaged, but there were some real big red flags that started popping up. And so I just remember, oh God, I felt like I was drowning. Like I was being sentenced to death. And so I finally broke it off. My roommate's like, oh my God, are you okay? And I was like, I couldn't even hold still in my bed. I was so giddy. Like I just felt so free. Like I had just escaped out from underneath like the hugest wow. rock. Yeah, it was. Yeah, no, I was totally. No, I knew totally you were engaged before, stories. but I didn't know the. I didn't know the like the. Oh yeah, story behind it. <laughs> uh huh. Wow. Uh huh. Yes. So <laughs> now everybody, now everybody knows. Um, my roommate was real mad at me about that. Um, but. <laughs> It was a problem. Uh, but I'm going to say, because you, you met your husband. I did. And how long after before you introduced him to your mom? Oh, like hmm, one week after our first date. Yes. So you've known this man for three weeks now because you know, knew him for two weeks. I, I met him and then he disappeared for two weeks. He was visiting family. So I met him once. Oh, he's gone so for two really... weeks okay. and then he came back and we went on our first date immediately. So I didn't know. Him. Okay. I just, I then... knew his name. <laughs> okay. So then he met your mom and what did your mom say? She said, do you know yet? Tell me when you do. Cause I know. And I'm like, okay. So break down for the non-Mormon, because every Mormon is going to be like, oh, yes, I know what just happened. Non-Mormon people, what just happened? So in in Mormonism, they talk about a spiritual confirmation that truth will be able to be testified through you through this feeling. And my mom was relaying to me that she had, had been testified to by the spirit that this man was to be my husband, that she knew God had told her, and she was waiting for me to catch up. And uh-huh. one one week since uh-huh. our first date, and the I mean I ended up two weeks later. You know we went ring shopping. We met each other's family that week, and two weeks later we were we were very much in that mindset of well, if you meet somebody that's even at all tolerable and you like them, then you get married. Um, and you do tolerable. it you do it quick before yeah. you have a chance to mess up. <laughs> because well, yeah. sex is not allowed before marriage. And and that's what we did. We did it quickly. And for me, it worked out for me. There were no mm-hmm. red flags. You know, I ended up with an amazing guy. There mm-hmm. were no red flags. We've been married for 19 years. Um, but would I recommend to anybody in the universe to get married at 18? No, <laughs> I would not. Right? And not even because I feel like I didn't have problems. I didn't have challenges you know, we're very compatible. We communicated well with each other. And a lot of the, you know, a lot of the difficulties of getting married young, we were able to work through together despite life bringing challenges. Um, But for me, it wasn't about how hard it was or that there, you know, that I regretted it as much as it's I hadn't even become an adult yet. Like I hadn't even become a, right. a real person. And I was so tied to another person that I never, I mm. I wasn't able to develop the solo identity until later in life. And it's harder. Mm. It's harder to do when you're grown. And you have so many other things tied to your identity that trying to figure out who you are without it all is really difficult. 
And I think I'm doing okay for myself, but it's been a journey. I actually, I don't think I've ever thought about that. That is so true that, yeah, like those are some really developmental, like pivotal years, right? When you step away from your parents' house and you figure out who you are and you didn't do that because of how young you got married. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so but I have a question then. How how much do you think ties in? So how much of it, so you not being able to identify as a solo unit until much later in life, do you feel that that was solely or or mainly as a result of the age that you got married at? Or do you feel that part of it was that you had been taught that your entire purpose was to be a wife? And so you didn't really search for something else outside of that because you had like achieved it. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. And I think it's really true. Yes. There's some things in there that even, even being taught my whole life that my purpose was to be a wife and a mother, the, you know, the most holy role that there is for a woman, um, is to be mother. And so I hadn't let anything else come in. I hadn't experimented with anything else because that's what I was supposed to do. Right. Um, getting married so young didn't leave a window for anything else to even be introduced. Um, right. So I think it's twofold that, that if I hadn't got married so young, still being in that system of Mormonism, would I have learned more about myself? I think that just by the nature of being alone, I would have, but I didn't, I didn't give myself hardly a minute to be alone before I right. I was tied to another person. And then my identity was like confirmed and sealed. And, you know, shortly after we got married, as good Mormons do, if you've got a healthy body, you make the babies and that's what we did. And so I've got an 18 year old. So I've had more years as a mother than I had as a person <laughs> that I'm at that point. Right. now. So it's a, it's an interesting, I just, uh, next week I hit that year, 19 years, you know, I got married at 18 and 19 years next week. And so I have had more years as wife and mother than I ever had as a person and no, no years in between, no years in between right. childhood and this other part of my life. And right. I'm, you know, I, I don't do regrets well because I learned so much. I'm mm-hmm. the person I am today because of all of the things that built me. But there are things that I, I have like a sadness for that Sierra that didn't get to experience developmental milestones and has to figure them out now, whether it's um, through identity. Like I, I've had to really piece myself together in the past few years and, and figure that out. Or um, like my sexual orientation, I'm bi, I didn't get to have, that wasn't allowed to exist when right. I was growing. It, was, it wasn't even that I couldn't express it. It was not allowed to exist. And so there's this little bit of like telling yourself that you're crazy or, you know, I just, I just like, you know, spending time with this person that I'm can't stop thinking about or, or don't know why I just want to be near them all the time. And you convince yourself that it's everything else. Um, and anytime there was like a, a yearning for something else or something more in my life, 
um, you preoccupy yourself with what you're supposed to be doing. You're mm-hmm. supposed to be focusing on your church calling. You're supposed to be focusing on, you know, early childhood education for your children, which is an amazing thing. But to if you are thinking about yourself, um, then you're doing it wrong because to be a mother is to be selfless and put self at the end of the list. So, okay, listen, you just dropped like seven things that we need to talk about. And so now I'm like, okay, how are we, how are we going to hit all of, oh, you know, please. I love that. (laughs) I would rather have too many things to keep track of than not enough. Um, so what I think what I want to do actually, um, and it's going to, it's going to bounce us around a little bit, but I think it's fine. And my, my listeners are plenty intelligent enough to bounce around with us before we lose track of it. I really do want you to talk about, um, this idea of selflessness. Um, because I wrote, I wrote something in, in the proposal for this book and, um, some of my own story of, yeah, like dying in order to be a good mother. Right. And, I wrote something to the effect and it's going to be much better in whatever I wrote because it was, you know, nice and polished and this is going to be off the cuff, but like something to the effect of as a mother, right? Like we've been taught that it's our job to stand there and die. Like that's what we're supposed to do. And oh, sorry. I'm like, "Mm." it's heartbreaking to me because what I personally feel like my children have learned the most from is watching me live is watching me live and be like, oh, well, if my mom can do that, maybe I could do that. If my mom can make these hard choices, maybe I can make these hard choices. If my mom can go after what she wants, but that's living, right? And that's not what I was taught Mm -hmm. I was supposed to do. I was taught that I was supposed to stand there and die for their benefit. Um, And can, will you please talk about like your understanding of that and how that affected you over the last 18, 19 years? I mean, I, I, before you start talking, I do want to add one caveat because I, I feel like it makes everyone feel more comfortable. We are, whatever comes out of Sierra's mouth, I have some guesses, but neither of us are saying that we dislike our children, that we wish we never had had our children. We love them dearly, but this isn't what this is about. And I think that it's important as women that we learn to hold both of these things simultaneously our love of our children and our grief over loss of self for making choices maybe earlier than we would have made them um, or without the amount of knowledge that we wish we would have had, et cetera, et cetera. So I just, I want us to be able to speak freely without you worrying. And I mean, that reiteration of the love for our children, I have so much joy and pride in the job that I am doing there that I'm, I'm helping these kids become, you know, humans that contribute to their world, humans that love, humans that ask questions, um, humans that help other humans be happy and, and feel loved. So I'm, I'm very proud of that. And I, I feel very fulfilled by that. Um, but you know, whether it's making choices early, I had my oldest when I was 19 years old, I was still a baby. I, I would laugh because they would say I was contributing to the teen pregnancy rate because I was. Because you were. (laughs) (laughs) Because I was. It didn't matter if I was married or not, or if I was married first and waited till the wedding night. It didn't matter because I was. I was very young. 
Um, and then having children quickly, you know, I had all of my kids by the time I was 26, 27. Um, and so I was, I was a young mom. I had four of them all packed in and together, but I think that the, the sense of self and selflessness being this, you know, when, when they describe the best mother there is in Mormon culture, but also in, in the bigger conversations, it's, you know, she was so selfless and to the point where selfishness is the worst thing that you could be as a yeah. mother, as a person. And for me, that meant always putting myself last and not even last. I wasn't even on the list. Right. I wasn't even on the list. I chose everybody but myself for so long, for 15 years before, before I um, left Mormonism and started uh, to figure out who I was without it and allowed myself to put myself on the list and then move my way up that list. Mm-hmm. But I remember judging other women, whether it was women who worked or women who um, didn't have children, whether it mm-hmm. was by, by choice or not. Um, but this idea of you choosing yourself is you are selfish and that is the worst thing that you could be as a woman because yeah. you, you're not giving to those around you. When I, I didn't think that it, it could coexist, that you could choose mm-hmm. yourself and have yourself on the list and not just still give to those around you to be a good mom, but to even do it better, like you said, because your kids yeah. learn more from you. Um, and you're a whole person instead of this pieces of everybody else. And that's for so long, I was pieces of everybody else. And that's what made up who I was. And, and now I am me and I have pieces of the people I love inside of that, but they actually have pieces of me and them now. And that didn't happen before. Oh my God. I have chills. Mm. Man, I'm emotional today. I cried all over the last lady. Um, <laughs> seriously. Um, but oh my that god. That is a real thing, so isn't it? True. And it's so beautiful because honestly, if you frame when you frame it like that, right? Like the pieces of the people you love didn't go away when you honored yourself, right? They no. stayed there. But now they have pieces of you because you know who you are, for starters. But like how sad is it that they didn't have pieces of you before? It is really sad. Like, and it is like I'm... for them, like for you, but yes. for, for them that they did they didn't have access to that because of course they didn't they know who have I was. To that. Yeah, because you didn't know who you were. Because I didn't know who I was. So how and could there, they possibly? There wasn't. There wasn't ever a total erasure. There were, you know, there were the things in the back of my brain of. Um, yearnings for something more. Mm. I I didn't go to college right after I graduated high school. I had scholarships left and right to go. I turned them down. I got married. I had kids. Um, when my husband was in the military, I went back to school, and it was this well for something to do because he's not here. I can't. I can't. You know, do Which anything for just... him. So for something to do, I'll go back to do. school. Do yeah, and. Okay, so I actually 
clarification points. And when we talked before, you talked a lot about your family having this attitude of just like, oh, I guess it's okay now because mm-hmm. it's just something to do. So I, it's not bad, I guess, that well, she's going back to school. I had one kid. I couldn't make any more because he was gone. And my one kid <laughs> my is a toddler. <laughs> <laughs> so, so something to keep me busy was good so that it could keep me, you know, focused on on the good things instead of being distracted by the world. But there, it was not for the value of education. And, and education was the, the type of education that I was seeking, education that you could do something with and not just, I don't know how they phrase it. Uh, there's a lot of like, well, it's okay for women to go to, to college because it'll help them become more well-rounded as a mother. Uh-huh. Better mothers, exactly. Better That's mothers. the only, mm-hmm. But, um, when I was, when I was in high school and like looking forward in my life, my teacher's asking me what I was going to do next. And I'm like, well, well, I'll go to school until I meet my husband and then I'll, I'll get married and become a mom. Not, there was never an end thing of what I would go to school for, what I wanted to learn, even though I was passionate about learning all growing up. Yeah. And so coming back to it, like, what can I go to school for? that would still allow me to be a good mom. So I went for secondary education because if you're a teacher, you're on the same schedule as your kids and uh-huh. um, hated it so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really like to learn, uh, but I, I don't like to teach high schoolers and to the people who do angels on earth, like mm-hmm. they're amazing and wonderful, mm-hmm. but um, it was just something to patch this, this time. And so when, my husband was out of the military. He was no longer deployed. Um, any any further uh, education was not, it was frowned upon. Like, well, now it's a distraction from your job. If you're pursuing mm-hmm. your education, now it's a distraction from your job of wife and mother. And I, I put things on pause for a little bit and then went uh, for my bachelor's degree in business and the excuse there that I could tell people and tell myself and like, no, no, it's not a distraction because my husband was disabled. And so he was unable to work for a while. And it was the, the rules, the rules of how to be a family and Mormonism uh, can be found on many people's walls in their house, the family proclamation of the world. It'll say women are supposed to be wives and mothers um, men are supposed to provide for their family. And the only exception is when health um, or other circumstances don't allow. But it's very clear that it's not, it's not even a second best, that this is a last option. But that right, was the excuse, resort. a last resort. And so yeah. I got my bachelor's degree around the same time that my husband returned to work. Um, and it was like the last year of my bachelor's degree. He was working and everybody was like, what are why are you, why are you still going? Cause now he can provide for your family. And, you know, now your job is to support him doing that. And so very frowned upon and very, Sorry, as, as if like going to college is this just like delightful little hobby that you just yeah. pick up and set down and is meaningless. And yeah. And, and that it's selfish that it's, it's, you yeah. know, and dangerous. And we talked about this in our previous mm. conversations that... But we are going to um, talk about it now because, yes, the dangerous part, um, 
Well, I mean, we don't have to talk about now this instant if you were going to go somewhere else for a no, second. No, that's but where I want to make sure. Oh, perfect. Yes, because it is like this idea of education being dangerous for women. It's fun as mm-hmm. I look back. Like I don't remember ever hearing like the the exact words of like education is dangerous for women for my mm-hmm. life, but I knew it. Like it got oh, yeah. in there wherever it came in through. I was well aware of the danger of reading too many things, of exploring too many things. So yeah, but you got a much more direct message than I did, if I remember correctly. I did. I did. I had had people in my life. Um, my mom told me that too much education for a woman is dangerous because it will make her question her beliefs. And this, this, I was very, I felt like my, my mind, cause I have been, uh, very fortunate to have a a mind that works well. It works well. I'm able to gather information. I'm able to sift through it quickly. I'm able to learn easily. I don't have learning challenges. And I felt when I was like my junior, senior year of high school, and then moving into adulthood, I felt scared of that because the most precious thing in the world to me was my belief. And I felt dangerous. I felt like a, like a, a, bomb that if I if I applied too much pressure that I would lose my faith because you know Satan would Satan would find his way in and I would no longer be able to see what was valuable and there was this like balance especially um and and people who have left Mormonism I've talked about this with other ex-Mormon friends. Um, there's this realization when you take action on something that's frowned upon or is against the rules, this realization of, I thought this was supposed to be bad, but mm-hmm. not only does it feel good, which they'll say, well, it feels good because that's Satan getting you, but exactly, it makes sense. Like for, for so long, there were these things that were so off limits Um, but there was nothing bad when I explored them. Um, and it's been the same with so many things. I mean, coffee, (laughs) but, uh, that this makes sense that it's, you know, clean, you can have clean energy, whether it's coffee or tea and not this sugared up thing. And, um, like logically there was nothing saying that coffee was bad for you and you read all these other health benefits, but people are downing their, you know, big gulps for the same right. purpose, but causing so exactly. much more damage. Um, and other things like, like my sexuality, um, there was this, you know, very strong message that sex was for procreation or to please mm-hmm. your husband. Women enjoying sex was, was an unintended byproduct that it shouldn't be See, that that shouldn't be the purpose of sex. <laughs> this is I didn't even get any sex talks aside from like the the, no, the no. church stuff where it's like sex is scary and bad and and then on the wedding night they're like have a good time and I'm like wait what? But um but no I didn't get such like you got such clear messaging. It is it's it's interesting. Um just the difference in, in households and, and geographic areas. But 
But so you actually got the, <laughs> the message that, yeah, sex was for your husband only. Like, and you were there to please him. That was so mother. But like, when you say my job was to be a wife and a mother, you don't just mean like doing your husband's laundry. Like you mean no. you were for his pleasure across the board. Yeah, being being sexually sexually available for your husband was going to be good for your relationship. And mm. that if you were saying no to sex, that you needed to find a way to get with the program or your relationship was going to be poor, but it was for your husband, meeting your husband's needs. Mm-hmm. Um there wasn't there wasn't anything in there about a woman possibly having any any needs at all when it um came to sex. If she enjoyed it, it was an unintended byproduct. Like, oh, well, that's nice for you. Don't get carried away. (laughs) (laughs) How happy that you enjoy that, lucky girl. Oh, (laughs) my God. Mm. See, and I can't even. Oh, I have such like there has been a lot of trauma around sex in my life just with the messaging that I had received. Right. Um, and so I have fought more feelings of, of like the act itself being like dirty or shameful. And, um, because of course it was, cause like you weren't even supposed to show your shoulders to boys cause it might cause them to have yeah. bad thoughts. Right. Like why would I not think it was shameful, but to add on top of that, that like, I'm not supposed to feel pleasure good lord like that is some damage yeah it's not i have a great sex coach that i've worked through a lot of these feelings with that um she she works primarily with people who were have left purity culture and she helps them Mm -hmm. deconstruct negative um ideas negative framework around sex around bodies around identity and rebuild them using their own values that they create and and that's been monumental but you are you are welcome to and i would encourage you to share who that is for anyone who might i can't shout her name enough her name is erica smith and she is on instagram that's her primary uh mode of delivery um and i think that her instagram is like erica smith can we share a link later like do you have yeah we can share a link okay. later yes i just um, know that like there's erica going to smith be sex people... educator and she's okay, incredible yeah. she's yeah, a pennsylvania like, sex Wait. educator she's been in okay. sex education for like 20 years or something and um this purity culture she she calls it purity culture dropout which i love like mm. it it is it is hard to leave some of those negative things behind. And I'm a big fan of keeping what works for you. Um, there, there are things that, um, you know, I came from Mormonism and I won't ever say that Mormonism is all bad. Some of the best people I know are Mormons from um, setting aside belief and setting aside the organization itself. There were things like, you know, spending time with your family is a good thing something I've kept from Mormonism Um, and funeral potatoes terrible for you they're delicious as hell I kept those (laughs) as well potatoes are delicious (laughs) why do we call okay for everyone who's like what the hell is a funeral potato it is a delightful potato casserole that goes by other names I'm sure but it's like either cubed potatoes or hash browns cream of chicken soup like green onions like it's amazing but we call Mm -hmm. it funeral potatoes so much and cheese and yes so much cheese 
But it's because if you go to a Mormon funeral, there will be funeral potatoes, period. Like, it is not a question. It's more a question of how many different versions will be there. Yeah. But it's not optional. So if you ever hear someone call it funeral potatoes, (laughs) that's that's what we're talking about. Oh, funeral potatoes. I've seen them marketed. They have them in, like, the freeze-dried prepper section. They have Oh. potatoes and like a they number 10 can potatoes oh they God, do well because it's a utah company so <laughs> oh, of course it's in utah okay that makes yeah. more sense otherwise people will have no idea what they're referring to they'll be like what kind of potato casserole <laughs> <laughs> okay okay oh okay we're gonna roll it back around get back on track every um i know i know i'm failing at my job so badly here um okay so let's go into um can you, we revi- can you, I jump back into something? Uh no, you're the guest. You don't get to just please, talk please. whenever you want. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> um well, we were talking about trauma messaging with sex that yes. sex, you know, sex is shameful. Um my first experience cuz I I didn't um have sex with until my wedding night. That was mm-hmm. I was one of the people who, you know, mostly followed the rules and made it that far. But my first experiences with um, anything sexual were um, I was assaulted by a high school boyfriend and it wasn't, Mm. you know, as far as trauma goes, it wasn't the most traumatic thing possible, but it was trauma. Um, It wasn't um, horrific, but it was something that kept me up at night and I didn't tell anybody about it until um, my ecclesiastical leader, my, my Mormon bishop, um, right before I got married, you have to do an interview. If you're getting married in the temple, you have to do an interview and they ask you a bunch of questions to make sure that you are worthy to go into the temple. And some of the questions that they ask are, are sexual, you know, have you, um, abstained from sex? And I told this bishop about, um, my assault and it, he asked me a lot of really, really in-depth questions about, you know, who was touching what, were there clothes involved? Did you climax? Did he climax? And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I'm, I'm, you know, this is getting into an area that I didn't even intend. I was just trying to tell you what happened to me, not, and there was definitely a lot of guilt thrown, um, in that conversation you were lucky and abnormal in the fact that you didn't have this conversation until you were going in for your marriage interview at 18 like they ask girls this question as young as well as young as it needs to go if it comes up but definitely starting at 12 it becomes very they did ask me they did ask me and i i said no um in in my previous interviews but those interviews were for baptisms for the dead in the temple which um was, I know I'm like, it's like oh, easy mode. man now I got to explain that <laughs> it's like easy mode oh yeah sorry <laughs> I, know, so you just said, I was like god damn it sorry. so baptisms for the dead no you're perfectly fine uh baptisms for the dead is a mormon belief um that the ordinances that mormons take for themselves baptism um temple covenants temple marriage are required for entrance into heaven. So because that's required, they have people go into the temple and do the same ceremonies in proxy for people Mm -hmm. who have died. 
so that they in heaven have the right to decide whether or not they would like to accept those ordinances or not. It's kind of the Mormon church's way of saying everyone does have an equal chance, even though such a small percentage of us are born into this, like the chosen faith. Yeah. Um, and, so and they let 12 year olds start, do it. Yes. Kids start doing baptism is dead at 12. So you would do let. a temple interview. <laughs> I know. Uh, now it's younger, right? They, they dropped the age. Oh. I was really upset about it. Are you serious? Actually, I'm serious. I'm pretty I sure. I have not. It's 11 now. I kind yeah. of like when I'm out of the Mormon loop to the point where yeah. I don't know stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure it's 11 now. Um, oh, I'm not, no, I'm positive. I'm one of my, yeah. Mm-hmm. I have no so, idea. so sir, there's everyone's definitions for baptisms for the dead, for everyone whose head just blew up when Sierra said that. Um, so you had started getting asked about sexual purity and detail questions from the time I was 12. 12. Yeah. So, but when you went in for your marriage interview and we are now approaching the part where Devery's head exploded in the previous interview. So you went in, um, and you you have to be interviewed to make sure you're worthy to go to the temple with your husband. Yes. And, and they you told it's them a about much the more assault. serious interview. Yeah. Because because if you go in the temple and you're not completely honest in your interview, there's it's not just shame, like you feel like your soul's in jeopardy. And so because they tell you your soul's in jeopardy. Of course that's yes. what you feel like. Yeah. So and I to- I told my bishop and he was he, you know, really went through every detail asking what had happened, but not from a stance of trying to understand a victim, but trying to figure out how much responsibility I had. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the interview, he gave me some repentance steps and told me I wasn't allowed to take the sacrament for two weeks, um, but that otherwise I was allowed to go to the temple and get married. Um, and so can I, just, I, I have to drive this home and I drove this home the last time you said it, but it has to be said. So to just understand the depth of what just happened, Sierra reported to her leader that she'd been sexually assaulted. Instead of talking about reporting it or what had happened, we had to assess her level of guilt so that we could figure out the repentance process and in a sexual assault situation. She was then told that she needed to go through the repentance process by not partaking of the sacrament for two weeks, so two Sundays. But the problem with this is that it's in the main congregation. And when Mm -hmm. someone passes the sacrament on, every person around them notices and wonders, I wonder what they did. And if because you someone, take the tray, you don't take anything and you hand it to the next person and they all so look at you. They all look at you. It is a huge source of judgment. Everybody knows what's happening. Everybody knows that you don't take the sacrament if you have sinned in some way. Mm-hmm. And then to top it off, you, everyone knows you're engaged, which means they also know you've gone in for a, a purity interview, basically, mm-hmm. and that you failed in some right. In oh, this yeah. purity interview, and so now you are you are publicly yet quietly being shamed for the sexual assault of you. Yes, perfect. Just had to clarify that. Okay, and now your husband goes in for the interview. Yeah, so I come out. I'm crying, <laughs> and he's like, "Are you okay?" I'm like, "Yeah, I can talk to you about it later." He's like, "Oh, you don't need to tell me anything that you said in there." I'm like, I'm good. And he goes into for his interview. And while in his interview, the bishop very seriously expressed to him, so I just interviewed Sierra. She told me some stuff. Now's the time to get out if you want. 
I'm equally as mad as last time. Tony was like, Sierra doesn't have to tell me anything, anything prior to like, if, if she's, if she's repented of anything or solved anything with you, I'm good. I don't need to know. And the Bishop really wanted to tell him what it was. And Tony stopped him. And the Bishop like again said, you know, now's the time to get out if you want to, it's not too late and gave him an out. And I, I didn't know about this until like two years ago. Like it's very recent that I found out about this. Um, and it's funny to me that he didn't, like we didn't process it right when we left Mormonism. It was something that took a little while and maybe some trust, like, mm-hmm. and I'm, this is a, a testament to how lucky I got that the random card I drew of, of husband after not knowing this guy for any time at all mm-hmm. that I ended up with a guy that is, he's just a stand up guy and, um, understood, um, understood autonomy, understood worth mm-hmm. long before he deconstructed his belief system, um, to allow him to do so. And, and I am very, very fortunate that that's the guy I ended up with and, and yeah. not the scenarios that I've seen other people yeah. in. But those are the messaging that I had around, around sex was, you know, that it's shameful that yeah. if, if, if I, well, that it's my fault, you know, you can't, can't show your shoulders or you're yes, going your to. Shoulders. And also this is a classical, sorry, I'm over here trying not to explode so that Sierra can talk, but I'm still like so upset by this story. I can't even tell you because one, your interview was supposed to be confidential. Let's just be clear on that. Yeah. So the fact that like Tony had to stop him from telling him like, ah, you didn't even tell me that last time. Um, And then it really, it goes to this principle and we did talk about this last time. So let's do this again, where the chewed up piece of gum idea, yes. because that's really what was happening here, right? Like you were no longer worthy of this you know, quote, unquote, like righteous priesthood, young man in the bishop's mm-hmm. eyes because you were used. Oh, and yeah. That makes me so sick to my stomach. So and we talked about this briefly, that the chewed piece of gum analogy is an analogy that has been used in in Mormonism. If people say that it was never, ever used, they uh, either didn't well, have it yes. or they are liars. Because I was in all most, of us heard it. I, yes, I had it more than once, like. Yeah, my leaders absolutely. stood up and it was an object lesson. It wasn't just that they were like, pretend you're a piece of gum. Like they would like at least mine. Like I had at least one where she put gum in her mouth and then took it out and offered it to someone who of course is like, ew. And then proceeded but to first asked sexual... you if you wanted it. Do you, oh, yeah. do you, do you want, want a piece of, piece of gum? gum? Oh yeah, yeah. 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 And then chew it and then offer it. And then, ew. And then it was like, this is the same as sexual purity because once you give yourself away, you can't ever restore it to its original state. Yeah. Like this disgusting chewed up piece of gum that you don't want anything to And do there are with. other analogies that I got along with the chewed piece of gum, like a licked cupcake. Do you want a cupcake? Yes, I do. Uh, and then lick the frosting. Lick- and okay, then- I'm sorry. I'm old enough now to get the sexual reference of a licked cupcake and I cannot believe they used a licked yeah. cupcake. Absolutely. <laughs> And we were talking about Elizabeth Smart, um, who, if, if you haven't heard of Elizabeth Smart, she was 
kidnapped uh, from her bedroom when she was 14 and she was held um, captive by her kidnapper for nine months and sexually assaulted and raped and berated for every day of those months. Um, and when she, when she was first raped, she said, I couldn't go back to my family because I was that chewed piece of gum and nobody would want me. Um, and there's that, um, that use of women, you are used and now yeah. no longer good and clean. Um, and so much shame associated with it that, that I, you know, did not feel in my bishop's eyes, certainly worthy of this returned missionary stand-up priesthood holder guy who, if the same thing had happened to him, it would have been blamed on the woman mm -hmm. and he would not have had the same, you know, repentance steps or, uh -huh. or, or the threat to tell this future wife, now's the time to get out. Uh -huh. Um, uh -huh. and so it just, it's so much negative. I know. <laughs> I listen. So, it's since, so ridiculous. We've, since we've talked, since we've talked, I met up with an old friend of mine and I'm going to give not a ton of details so that people don't know who this is. Um, I met up with an old friend of mine and he told me a story cause he has also left Mormonism. He told me a story about how he, um, was trying, was going to go on a mission, was planning on going on a mission. Um, and you have to, you know, you have to be worthy and all these things. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he was taking a little longer to get out because he was actually trying to be financially responsible about it. And, uh, somewhere in the line, like ends up, uh, I want to make sure menage a is two, three, right? Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. I should know sexual terms. I'm ridiculous. Um, so he ends up like having a menage a with these two girls, like at this party, and goes to his bishop. So now let's just compare and contrast. So Sierra's been assaulted. And, you know, it's like he tries to destroy the, engage the engagement. And different bishops are different people. And, and this is true. But this guy's bishop is like, you know, I can't, can't not even say this. You know, I probably would have done the same thing if I were in your position. And then. And then it's like, we can get you back on track. Like, we'll just, you know, I mean, a little repentance, but it's fine. Like, we'll get, what? Like, he he tells me the story and I am just like, you, you gotta be, you gotta be kidding me. Like, that's the response you got because you were male? Like, what? Okay, thank you. Now, now I got you back for you dropping me on the blast. Anyway, <laughs> Sierra's, Sierra's a little shocked over here. Yes, dear. The <laughs> oh my God. God, I, know. I know I know I wish I had made that up kind of but like no I mean good for him <laughs> well the done. fact that this man That's in this crazy. leadership position not only didn't like like the repentance problems process was maybe going to be a little longer in yours but like the response yeah. was I would have done the same, the thing, same thing if I was in your shoes man <laughs> Yes. And I don't. And, I mean, different people, just let's be very clear. Oh, for very sure. Different men, different but in areas, my situation, like, the questions were what were you wearing? Did he Where seriously you? ask you what you were wearing? 100% he asked what I was wearing. 100%. And asking me, you know, where were you? That you allowed this to happen. You secluded you yourself away that somehow. You allowed. 
And, you know, me thinking that it was fine to be in the back of the bus and on the high school road trip, you know, it wasn't, it was, you were on a bus, a school sanctioned bus with other people. Yeah. And it's of course not super cut and dry. You know, I'm sure that this guy doesn't see it as assault uh, when it certainly was. Um, Just like the Bishop didn't see it as assault when I told him, you know, three years, four years later. But the the idea that you could describe, I didn't want this. I said no. I said no when he broke up with me because of it. Like, right, I, you don't put right. out, so you, you can't have this anymore. But um, that I can I can emphatically say I didn't I didn't want it. I said no. Um, I I pushed his hand away. I told him to stop. Um, and for that. Be, to be the reaction. Okay, well, he, what else? What did you do wrong? Let me find out what you did wrong, um, so I can figure out how much responsibility to assign to you. Where, you know, somebody can have a threesome <laughs> and go in and be mm-hmm. like, "So this is what happened," and you're like, mm-hmm. "Okay, I'm not supposed to say nice, but nice." Now let's get you back right, on track. Right, exactly. Congratulations. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, yeah. That was mm-hmm. crazy to but me. It, but it's really important to show, you know, the difference because his story, although perhaps more extreme in that it was a threesome instead of just one person, other than that, his story is not unusual at all. Like, it is no. very different. Um, and I'm not saying that no men struggled with guilt and that no men were ever sexually shamed because they absolutely oh, sure. were and have been. But as a general consensus it is different because the women are supposed to keep themselves clean we're supposed to not distract the young men with our Mm -hmm. clothes or our bodies and I do literally mean bodies I mean I assume you've experienced this as well where it's like if you have breasts yeah that is distracting it is distracting yeah and so you should wear baggy shirts right um, to hide the fact that you have breasts mm-hmm. um, and the way you stand, the way you sit, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah. man, I had such a hard time finding clothes that weren't distracting yeah. to, to boys yes. Um, yes. because I, I was endowed, you know, with uh-huh. uh, breasts and they were, they were distracting the biggest problem. If I, you know, the put your arms up and put your arms down and bend over. And can you see any line of cleavage and trying to figure out how to, how to hide as much as possible because I was going to, I was so powerful. I was going to bring the young men down um, and debase them with, with merely viewing my body. Yeah. That you, that your body existed in any fashion. Have you read um, educated? Yes. Oh, my so God. good. So if you haven't read it, everyone, please read it. I think the whole world has read it at this part point. But in case you didn't, oh, so but good. there's there's a part in that book where she's talking about her father's reaction to this woman at church and they come home and he's ranting about how sister so-and-so wore a low cut shirt on purpose and bent down so that he could see down her shirt and what a whore she was. And like mm-hmm. that, I I wanted to throw up at that passage because I know people, I know people like that. Like oh, that's yeah. not my family, but I know people like that. No, that's not my family either. But I also like, I had this experience and I, for the life of me, don't know if I've shared this on a podcast or not, 
everyone just be warned. I have no idea what I've said to who and where and when. So just love <laughs> me anyway. Okay. But like I was on a mission and I wore V-neck shirts a lot because it's not flattering on my body type to wear crew necks. It's, it just, it does not look good. So I would wear V-necks. So we're sitting in a meeting. So there's like two sister missionaries and then probably like 10 elders. And one of these elders who in no way, shape or form would have ever had the nerve to just like tell me what he thought about me, decided instead (laughs) to tell a story about how all of these girls walking around this area that we were supposed to be missionaries in, and I quote, are all walking around wearing V-neck shirts like a bunch of whores. And I am in the meeting with a V-neck shirt on. And like the whole room knew it. Like all of the elders like stopped and like looked at me like, oh my God. And I'm like, yeah, okay. That's... That's great. Okay. And this is the name of the podcast for a reason, Silencing Women in the Name of God, because it is in the name of God that they shame you, that they silence you, that they correct you. um, And and they use that as a stamp of approval for their behavior and for their thinking, like letting their thinking spiral into a spot that... Nobody could justify, but if they do it in the name of God, then it is it's justified okay. because your very soul is at risk. Exactly. And so is theirs, us with our horror bodies. Yeah, exactly. And and that it's, oh, it is exactly why I chose the name that I did because silencing women is, is a problem across the board, right? But mm-hmm. ex- what you just said, when we say in the name of God, it's now okay. Our treatment of women is justified. Our actions are justified. And and people do things that they would not do in any other circumstance, you know, yeah. way more horrible things than what we're discussing in this podcast right now. Absolutely. And it's because they think that, that it is not life or death. It's more than life or death that, right. that exactly. souls are at risk. Um, I think that exactly. we touched on this in a previous conversation, but when I left Mormonism, I had people try to go around me to get to my kids Mm. and there's no there and there's all sorts of bizarre behavior like people showing up at my house at nine o'clock at night with brownies and I've never met them before and they want me to let them into my house and talk to me um and you know they they say they're being a good neighbor but it's not that's not normal behavior to go to somebody's house that you don't know after bedtime hours and expect to be let in when you've never even introduced yourself but they in the name of God, we are, we are here going to fellowship this family who is losing their way. And I had somebody, um, ask if they could give my daughter a birthday gift and, you know, their daughter and my daughter had been friends. Like, we just want to drop it by really quick. And I'm like, that's, yep, that's fine. That's fine. And so here comes this wrapped gift and she opens it up and it's a picture of her at her baptism. And this is a year after we left the church. And I'm like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Like, if I were to go to, if I were to give them a gift, can I give your daughter a gift for her birthday and give her the CES letter, which again, for the the never Mormon people, the CES letter is a very popular document that somebody wrote a letter to the, uh, church educator 
asking questions, saying, these are the problems I have. Can you answer them for me? And and backs it up with evidence, um, both evidence outside of the church and historical documents, as well as evidence from within the church and the documents that they put out. And Mm -hmm. it's a a common uh, thing for people to have read and have their aha moment to leave Mormonism. If I were to go to this family and say, I want to give your daughter a gift, um, something that genuinely might enrich that kid's life and help them, you know, see outside of themselves um, and do it in secret, wrap it in a present, give it to them. Something that I knew that they wouldn't want to teach in their own home. I, they, they would be irate. They'd file a restraining order against me or something crazy, but for them to do it in return, because it's in the name of God, it's justifiable that any action that you take is justifiable because yeah. you're trying to save their soul. Yeah. Um, and it's hard to learn um, how to set boundaries, especially things that I used to think were okay. And I'm like, oh, that's not actually, that's not actually okay to cross right. these lines. Like right. there, there are, there are, societal norms and boundaries for a reason and we don't have permission to cross them just because we're stamping the name of god on it or we shouldn't but but people take that liberty all the time well yeah like your choice as a mother is completely invalidated because you've made the wrong one so they're going to step in to to be surrogate parents for your kids Mm -hmm. to to get them on the right those those poor kids don't have a chance unless we yes enter enemy lines and the baptism picture just makes me sick to my stomach because really what that what that was again I I it's so hard when you come out of religion you know what all the objections are right you know what all the thought mm-hmm. or it's like so what's the big deal it's just a picture but really what it was was it was someone else trying to trigger a memory and an emotional reaction within your child to get her to take a different path than you you know, like, and it's not Which like they had manipulation. The exactly. And it's not like, like they it's the definition of manipulation. For heaven's sakes. Well, they, well, they pull it off your Facebook page and then print it out. They, they were in the primary presidency. They took the picture. Oh, so they would have held. But this was, uh, this was damn near a year later. Year later. Yeah. So it wasn't like, oh, we just got baptized last week. It was. No. It was. No, it this was, is yeah, a year later just, turning nine years old. So, yeah. And, and yeah, like you said, any action is, is okay when, when it's for God and for souls. And, and I think you and I have both been there and have been in conversations like that in, in organizations and presidency groups and not seen a problem with it until on the other side. And then you're like, oh my gosh, like this is not only every, not only inappropriate. What, what? Oh, I just. Have you ever seen the locating members how-to guide on the church website? Okay, I'm going to send it to you so you can have your brain explode again. I don't. Because it's so. My brain's getting tired. Um. (laughs) Yeah, this is a separate thing, but it's a document of how to find people who have uh, lost touch with the church, people who are inactive. And it gives you this whole list of ways to track them down. It reads like a fucking spy how-to. It's so weird. Like, so it's not like a. It's not like a type the name in and like it's like here's all the tips no. and tricks on how to like super sleuth. No, no, oh, it is like it's like you can uh, 
call their work and ask for their address if you know where they work. You can send a letter to their last known address and request, I can't remember what it is, like a return to sender with valid address or something like that to the post office. Um, And there's this whole list of, I'm going to find it so that I can show you so that you can. I am really sad right now. Okay, so will you do me a favor? In the name of God. I was going to say, Bray, just run through why this is a problem really quick. And then we're going to, we're going to move on. Cause you and I could be irritated about this shit all day. I know. Um, so, but yeah, for those people who are like, well, yeah, you want to find someone. Why, why is this actually a problem? Because if you were, if you were to hand this to anybody else, here's a, a list of ways how to find somebody who doesn't want to talk to you. We would say they don't want to talk to you. Yeah. They don't want to talk to you. That's the boundary. If if they have said, no, don't talk to me, if they haven't given you their address, if they haven't called you, if they haven't shown up to Sunday meeting, that's the message. Don't talk to me. But we're t- telling people, not only is it okay to cross those boundaries, but it is your duty to cross those duty. boundaries in the name of God so that you can bring these souls back to heaven because one of them might say yes, and that right. one would be worth it. But right. we, and I think what it comes down to is a consent issue. We teach that consent Mm -hmm. does not matter if you're in the right. And if you are in the name of God, then you're right. Consent Mm -hmm. doesn't matter. And that's what all of this conversation, the bishops interviewing 12 year old girls, asking about masturbation, asking about if they've kissed boys, asking if they've, you know, looked at porn, asking all of these things. Consent doesn't matter. Boundaries don't matter because they're doing it in the name of God. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, and even, and, that's a problem. and I don't want to get too deep into this only because there are people, a lot of, I'm going to assume there are a lot of non-Mormons listening to this podcast. Do you like how I'm just manifesting that? There are a lot yeah, of non-Mormons. Yeah. So many. Um, So I don't want to get into like tons of details about the temple just because it would be a whole nother 40 minute conversation. Mm. But um, the temple ordinances are a, a exact example of a lack of consent, especially I mean, it's a lack of consent for everyone, but I do think it hits the women a little bit harder, frankly. Um, you oh, go sure. in to these, mm, nah, not meetings, but you go through these ceremonies and you don't know what you're agreeing to. Like they say, like they give you a chance to say, hey, if you want to leave, like if you're not sure if you want to make this commitment, leave now. But they haven't told you. They don't know what you're committing to. Yeah. And so your family is there looking at you uh, for women. See, this is why I say it's going to hit women a little bit harder because men are going to go in uh, usually when they're getting ready to go on their missions. So would it be ridiculously hard to stand up and be like, this is not for me or I've changed my mind? Yes, yes, it would be. But women usually, at least in the past, especially in our generation, yes, our generation, much more so because the missionaries, the women missionaries are going out younger now. But for our generation, you most women go through the day before they're getting married. The wedding Mm -hmm. has been planned. Everyone's been invited. The decorations are up. The food you do it the day before so people can come to your ordinance and watch. Right. And so like now, how, how are you going to say, uh, yeah, no, like, I don't think that I want that. No one is going to do that. I mean, one in a thousand women are going to do that. Right. So you're sitting in there and yeah, there's no consent. 
they they pretend like you have consent because they ask you ahead of time. <laughs> and then yeah. it starts going through all of these promises that you're going to give everything to the church and your time and your talents and your life and like all of these things and that you're going to bow to your husband and bow to and, your husband, yeah. Yeah. And they have you actually like bow with a veil on your face. And you didn't know any of these things were gonna happen. And it's a but repeat after me scenario. Like right. And everyone around you. Leave now if you want to. Okay, you good? Okay, repeat it after me. You don't even know what I'm what you're about to say. Yes. And your or mom is there and your it. grandma's mm-hmm. there. And they're crying because they're so happy because you're there. And you're mm-hmm. like, there there is no way out of this. Like there's no way out of this. Yeah. Uh, it's anyway, yes. So the consent thing is is a huge, huge problem. And it just, it it's a big issue because, in our world, but in, in, yes. um, in religion and Mormonism, it is when they teach you that consent doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if somebody wants something, it doesn't matter if they've told you specifically, right. they don't want something, but the, in the name of God, it's what's best for right. them. And, and you've decided, so you can right. cross all of those boundaries and break that consent. Exactly. And that consent, I think carries through too, um, with the culture of, um, the callings in the Mormon church. So oh my God, yeah. Yeah. We are all, um, they say there's no paid clergy in the Mormon church. It, it apparently that only applies to a certain level I've realized. Um, yeah, but, is, but. <laughs> within the word unit, there's no one that's paid. So everyone takes turns doing these different jobs, but the, the Bishop will call you in and will say, I've had a revelation <laughs> and you need to be in this calling. And, it was taught heavily that to say no was a sin. Like, oh, you don't have yeah. faith if you said no. Yeah. And literally the first, listen, oh, I haven't told this story either. The first time, so I, I can't remember what I was doing. I think, they, I think they put me in the nursery, which was the worst place for me because I had severe postpartum depression and two mm. small babies. Um, It was to the point that I... Was well, I had to put you there. You'd going. be distracting anywhere else. <laughs> Is that what it was? They were like, she has <laughs> breasts. Put her in the nursery. Um, <laughs> so so I, you're, you're making me blush. You're going to make me blush. Um, so I'm so struggling with postpartum depression that I'm almost ready to just not go to church anymore. So I walk into the bishop's office and I sit down. And I mean, I Sarah, I am sobbing. I am sobbing. And I can hardly get the words out because I was taught that this is what I'm about to do is so horribly wrong, but I see no other way out. And so I'm sobbing and I say, like, I can't keep doing this. Like, I am struggling. I am not okay. My husband is working constantly. Like, I am a single mom half of the time. I am not handling this well. This man sat across. Sorry, I haven't thought about this in a long time. I'm getting mad thinking about this. This man sat across this table for me, just stared at me. Didn't offer a word of comfort, didn't offer me a Kleenex, didn't offer anything. Just sat there and let me sob in like circles of like just starting to repeat myself because I'm so uncomfortable because I, he's not saying anything. Yeah. And when I, when I finally stop, he is like, I'll take care of it or something to that effect. Stands up, walks over to the door, opens the door and just stands next to it, staring straight ahead until I leave the room. Like... It was so, 
was so traumatic for me because I'd already felt like I was disappointing God. I was sinning against God. And then for him to act like I had indeed actually. Oh, done yeah. The worst he can't even look at you. Done. He can't even look at me. And he like, not, not even thinks I'll see you later. Just opened the door and stood there until I understood that I needed to get out of his office. Like it, that consent, it doesn't matter if we have the time, the energy, the space. It doesn't matter if our bodies want sex or don't want sex. It doesn't matter if mentally, I'm going to get, oh, I'm getting really upset. It doesn't, you bring this out of me, Sarah, it's your fault. It doesn't matter if um, we, we have the mental capacity. It doesn't matter if we're struggling with depression. Like it does, it, nothing matter doesn't matter if you have time or don't have time it doesn't matter yeah like it doesn't matter because you were called you were called by the bishop and he is the father of the lord yes. and he has yes. he has been given this set of keys that allow him to make decisions for each and every one of them and yeah. you know he had revelation you're supposed to be in this calling and if you don't yeah. do that then you are denying god yeah. you're denying the spirit like yeah. So I really like we are supposed to stand there and die for our children, for our husbands and for the church. And like, mm-hmm. like you said, like we aren't even on the list. We are not on the no. list for any reason. And we, and, and we do stand there and die. We lose ourselves completely. It, and it just, it is so. <sighs> Listen, for anyone who may or may not be thinking that I'm complaining a lot on this episode, cause I am. But the reason that I get so upset about this is because I feel so strongly and I have felt this way. Like I remember giving a lesson in church about this because it just destroys me. When we look at the outside world, we can, as humans, see the benefit between brains working differently, people working differently, different strengths, weaknesses, honoring people's needs. Like we understand that an engineer is going to interact with the world and us differently than the writer, right? Or the Mm -hmm. artist or, you know, the tax accountant or the salesman. Like we understand and can see the differences. And we, we understand that that's why our world runs, right? That's why everything works Mm -hmm. the way that it does. That's why everyone functions so well is because everyone is contributing to this world, to this, this, this experience that we're having here on planet earth. Right. But then when we go into high demand religions, this is no longer applicable. Now we require things of people. We treat entire genders, not only like garbage in a lot of regards, but we also say who they will be, how they act, what they will be, what shape of box they are to sit in. Right. And we just act like all of these amazing, beautiful things that they could have contributed had they been honored in the space that they were, as they were, who they were, we could have built this wonderful, beautiful thing around a God or Christ or whatever you want to say. But instead, we we take away respect, we take away consent, we take away autonomy, we take away all of the things that make a person a person, and we just ask them to conform to this very cookie cutter version of themselves at whatever cost is necessary. So in Mormonism, we have all of these guidelines that are not just assumed or like culturally driven. 
but that are written down. And I, I mentioned this earlier, the proclamation, uh, a family, a proclamation to the world, it lists by gender, by role, exactly what you are supposed to do. And if you work outside of that, you better have one hell of an exception and your bishop sign off on it. And mm-hmm. still you will be deemed as less than you will be yeah. deemed as, oh man, if you're a single woman who doesn't get married, you're going to be a ministering angel because you're not going to be able to get to the highest reaches of heaven. Um, if you're, if you're a woman providing for your family, um, then you, you are not as good of a mother. You're not as good of a wife because you didn't follow this list of rules, these tiny little boxes that you're supposed to fit in. And it, it just, it erases self and it does it, it does it for, um, people across the board, not just women, but women aren't allowed to be anything other than mother. And so, and mother is great. I, I am a great mother. I am a great mother. Um, and I think that my kids know that I hope, <laughs> but they will, they will eventually their therapist Someday. will tell them, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, but there's no self because it, you, you've erased sense of self to fit in that box. You've yeah. chopped off all of those, those edges. And it's yeah. so, so sad because you're not, you're not even on the list. You're not allowed to exist. Yeah. And in my experience, when I have felt that drowning feeling and it's not, I felt it when I, when I've been had postpartum depression or anxiety, I felt it then as well, but I felt it when I am at my healthiest, uh, the feeling that I'm standing in the middle of a room full of people screaming and nobody even looks up, yeah. um, that that's a feeling that it's, those are the words that I, I have been able to find, define it the most is that I feel invisible and I feel invisible and like I am on mute and nobody can yeah. even see me. And in part yeah. because I couldn't see myself. That's probably why I felt so much that way is, is I couldn't even see myself. I didn't know who I was. And right. it took a lot of hard work to, it wasn't even reclaiming it. It was just claiming it for the first time. Right. And it, right. it's tough to do. It's tough to do when you don't have all of these challenges, but when, mm-hmm. when you're pushing through, despite what everybody says, despite what everybody's attitude is. Um, yeah. And I started to do it when I was still in Mormonism. And I talked about this um in our failed recording. I know, but, I'm so sad, guys. They're probably like, I, yes, yes, we know you've talked before. Like, everything we're like, but remember when we said, I love it. It was so good. It was so <laughs> good. Was and good. So, but um, part of that, when I was still within Mormonism, because nobody leaves Mormonism overnight, nobody leaves any religion overnight. It, it's something that either um, builds in your mind or you, you build it in actuality for a long time. And for me, um, at, when I was, when I met Debrie, um, I, I meet this woman running a business out of her home. Uh, my oh. kid was one of Debrie's preschoolers. And I was so fascinated that, that she was running this business out of her home. It didn't, you know, Mormons are expected to live on one income especially while kids are still young. They, they should live on one income so that the mom can be available at all times. Even if the kids are in school, 
all times. You need to be able to PTA, you need to be able to volunteer in the classroom, you need to be able to do all these things. And so um, having having a business and you working was this uh, definite pushback in my view. And I remember some of those early conversations that we were having. I remember you telling me about how um, you very specifically were going to have a, a dress that was sleeveless for your daughter. I think oh, her baptism. Yes. And I was like, this, this chick pushes back. And it was so pivotal going to that book conference with you that this is not on the list of things that you're allowed to do. You're not allowed to use your brain um, to do anything other than what benefits the family writing a novel or, or attempting to edit a novel. Cause that's not what my, I might have some natural skills there, but it's not what I'm trained in for sure. Um, those are things that were not on the list. They were selfish things. We were being selfish women. Um, mm -hmm. and trying to like have those little, little bits that were allowed to be, and they were like little shameful bits. I'm, I'm going to go to this, but, and I might have, you know, I'm helping Devry. So that's my excuse. Or, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> like I'm, I, I have just this little bit of time, so I'm not taking it from anybody else. And that's my excuse. Mm -hmm. Um, but those were the kernels of me starting to build my, my bridge out. Um, and for me, there's, there's plenty of women who function within Mormonism and feel sense of self, feel happy. I was not one of them. Um, and for me, I needed to build a road out because I, I couldn't function as self in a situation where everything was stripped away. And if you're not this, then you're not anything. Right. And, um, I, you know, after, after our first interactions, um, I went back to school, I continued to go back to school and it was like opening a window and looking outside and starting to see that there, there was more there. It is mom. It is dangerous to educate a woman. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's dangerous to educate a woman. God damn it, you were right. <laughs> I mean, it's true, but I think that's inherently the problem. You know, if we have to avoid education to make something true, like that should have been a nice big mm -hmm. red flag to both of us. And we were both like, okay. I, so, <laughs> makes total sense. That's fine. I just won't learn anything so that I can believe in something. Um, I, I, I want to say, because so the first the first time that you told me that just me existing <laughs> had had an impact on you right that it had like made you look at something else the fact that I was running a business and, and writing a book and I got so emotional and I'm I'm emotional again but because I I wish that everyone could understand the impact that we can have on another person li person's life by simply, I can't pick words, by simply honoring ourselves and acting accordingly. Like I had no idea that you were like, oh my God, if she can own a business, like maybe I can do something else. Right. I had, mm -hmm. I had no idea. I just did the thing. Like <laughs> I just, I, 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 I did it because a sequence of events pushed me that way. And I was like, all right, I guess we're doing this. But like the more that we as women find ourselves 
honor ourselves and act in the world as ourselves, like that's all it takes. It will shift everything. Absolutely. I've always been so drawn. I mean, since I was young, I don't remember the first time I heard this, but I have, it has, it just stuck clear through to my soul. Um, Oh, and I know her name and now it's gone. Um, Everyone credits this quote to Nelson Mandela and it was not Nelson Mandela. It was this other woman again, whose name I've known because it irritates me that it's misquoted all the time. I'll look it up in a minute, but it's talking about, um, that we, you know, we pretend that we are not special, that we are not divine, that we are not godlike. And we think like, who am I? Who am I to say these things about myself? Who am I to think these things about myself? And I really need to just look this up right now and stop butchering this poor woman's um, you should. brilliant words. I know which Hold quote on. you're talking about. Thank you. I'm like, this is, this is a travesty We've- what is happening right now. We've talked about this. We talked about this quote a couple of years ago uh, yeah. when we reconnected after I moved. We talked about this quote, and I know exactly which one. There we go. Okay, so guys, we're I'm gonna I'm gonna read this because I think this is when when Sierra told me the impact that I'd had by doing nothing, by just existing, right? Like I wasn't trying to help her. I wasn't trying to write a book and start a podcast because I think women. We all think, well, and this isn't just a woman thing, people, right? We think that to be special or helpful or needed, that we have to do these huge, enormous things. And really all we have to do is what Sierra has been talking about the whole time, which is find ourselves, right? Like who are we? And to stop ignoring that, to stop shaming that and like miracles happen. So, okay, I'm going to read this quote by, um, again, I pulled up one that doesn't have the correct author on it for the, oh, Mariana Williamson. I was like, I really do know this woman's name. Oh, Mariana Williamson's quote. So she says, let's pull this one up. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, and fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your plain small doesn't serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we consciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. And I, I this, I'm telling you, it hits so hard. And f- for people who don't believe in God, for people who want to take that out entirely, it still works perfectly, exactly well. Like when we are ourselves, we liberate everyone around us and we don't even know that it's happening and and talking about that you shrinking does not serve the world it doesn't help anybody it helps no one for you to shrink but if you can if you can live authentically that by itself just living not even trying just living lifts everybody else and affects everybody else 
and it gives other people permission to do the same. And I, I very much, it's part of why this quote, why I remember it, you see a thousand great quotes and they pass through your brain. I remember this quote in, I remember our discussion on it because it is so authentically you that I don't know if you have ever felt an apology for who you are, but I have never seen one. I have never seen you apologize for who you are, even when you were in the depths of religion. I didn't know you that well. You know, we were we were friends, but we weren't soulmates. But I have never seen you live as though your life is an apology. You've lived authentically and you have you have let everybody you interact with know that it's not just okay to live that way, but oh my God, how great is it <laughs> that you can you can live without apology, be yourself, and and not not shrink for some greater good. This is the greater good. Being yourself is the greater good. And it's, mm. you know, going back to that time, we were trying to figure out um, how long we've known each other. And it's been, uh, I think we said 11 years because my kid was three uh, when I enrolled them in your preschool. And they're now 14 going to homecoming. <laughs> <laughs> but... Oh, no. Those those years ago were the first steps. Honestly, that that neighborhood, I was in between houses and house sitting for my sister because I didn't have anywhere else to go. Living in her congregation where I was known as her little sister. That's people didn't know my name. I was I was this person's little sister. Um and trying to figure out what my next move was in life and meet this incredible woman who is living, you know, people talk about living your truth. And I feel like your truth may have evolved, but I've only ever seen you live your truth. Uh, I think she was really just positively trying to make me cry again on this call since we That's, lost the first well, I time I cried. Recapture, um, right. You'd have to have some evidence <laughs> oh, for it. God. You burned the recording you know, on purpose. <laughs> I did. I was like, go away. No, I want to, I want to say though, because I think that I think that sometimes we get such a social media view of other people's lives, you know, and mm -hmm. I love everything that you said. And I, I'm not going to argue with it because I look back and I'm like, well, I, I, I kind of, I was actually, I mean, I, I, I was doing the things and I was like, cause I just, I can't, I can only shove myself down for so much and then it just comes bursting out and then I just do shit. But like when I would be authentically myself, and I think this is important for people to, to know that even when they aren't perfect, they still have impact. When I was authentically myself, I would leave the room or I would leave the building and I would get in my car and the shame cycle that I would go through was horrible of just like, why did you have to say that? why can't you just be like everyone else? Like, why can't you just be small and soft like you're supposed to be? Like, why can't you keep your mouth shut? <laughs> like, why can't mm -hmm. you? And so the fact that oh, I am just going to ball the fact, and this is significant. I want every person listening to hear this because this is so important. The fact that I was able to impact you in that way, despite the mental state that I was in, 
despite feeling so awful about myself and feeling like such a failure as a Mormon woman and such a failure to God, that you were still able to read that as authentically being me. Because that was me. But she just kept popping out without permission. <laughs> like, it was me. And you saw that even through the horrific abuse I was putting myself through is so beautiful. And it just, again, the power that we have on other people around us when we are just ourselves is it's immeasurable. It's immeasurable. And it's just beautiful. If you can have that kind of impact when you are trying to push your voice down so that you're not too loud, so that you can be small and soft. If you can have that level of an impact, what can you do when you do it on purpose? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. The same goes for both of us. Like, and for people, exactly. Like, what happens? Oh my God, Sierra. Like, I really, I want everyone to ask themselves, what happens if you do it on purpose? What happens? I think that's, and I think that that is, you know, when they talk about a purpose-driven life, that's what it is. What happens if you were to do it on purpose? Yeah. And it doesn't have to be big or grandiose or anything. It's just you being you on purpose and authentically mm -hmm. and whole and all the way. And, like, I have a big personality, okay? It caused me a lot of grief for a lot what? of years of my life. <laughs> Listen, this is the shame. I'm telling you, Sarah, it was, it was excruciating. But, like... Not everyone has a big personality and a lot of times people get stuck in and I do the same thing with people with like, like actually on the one I recorded this morning, we were talking about our mutual envy of small women. And I mean, yeah. small by like, yeah, soft and gentle and like just such envy of like, why can't I be like that? Right. So I'm mm -hmm. not saying it's bad, but there are very different people in this world and we tend to look at each other and say, God, why couldn't, why can't I be like that? And that's not what it's about. It's about each and every one of us doing it on purpose and impacting yeah. each other. And, ah, uh, okay. This is what I, we have other things we wanted to talk about, but I really feel like this, I want to leave the listeners like, I agree. right where you just put us. And so I'm going to wrap this up and then we can, we can see if maybe we want to come back and do a second episode on the other huge important part of your life that would also be really, really helpful to okay. people. Um, but God, I, I thank you for coming on and not just cause you said nice things about me. Um, <laughs> thank you for seriously, all of, all of your thoughts and contributions and where you took this conversation was just beautiful. And I hope empowering for everyone that is listening, because all of the things that you said to, to me are not unique to me. It's no messages that I, think I just, I want everyone to hear them. I think that they're the messages, the messages that I've been trying to tell myself for so long. And when I actually listen to myself, I, I feel alive. I feel seen. I feel purposeful. Um, and I feel that, you know, we were talking uh, before we hopped on the call where beliefs are at right now. And I'm, I'm atheist with a sprinkling of agnostic in that quote you shared about, <laughs> about deity. Like the but the closest I felt to God is when, is when I feel like myself in love with myself yes. is the closest I've ever felt to deity. And I, you know, how do we tap that and access that? And that's the, that's the goal. Yeah. To that, do is, it on that is actually 
that is actually the goal. And I don't actually, I said actually four times in a row. Now I'm annoyed. I don't know if you actually know (laughs) how dead on the money you are with that, because that really is like when we start to tap into our own divinity, which is ourselves, when we start to be like, this is me, that is the whole point of everything. Because once we can feel that, we honor that. And once we can honor that, miracles start to happen in our personal lives, in our family lives, because we're on the list for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. And and suddenly peace, people that we love have pieces of ourselves inside of them now that are genuine and honest and divine, that are, are godlike, that are so special and unique that they like it's a it's a treasure that they now can have because we have tapped into that part of ourselves. And when we sorry, I'm on a preaching kick now. When we can feel that, we make different choices. We Absolutely. Act differently. We honor ourselves in a different way. We honor everyone else in a different way too because if we can feel the divinity in us, we're not alone in that. Like Mm-mm. there must be that in everybody. And everybody. And so we honor that in the same way that is very different from what we've been talking about, about no boundaries and no consent. Like that is honored as we wish to be honored mm-hmm. with complete respect and love and understanding. I know you wanted to conclude, but I just, I, I have to throw one more thing out there. There's. Yes, go ahead. I know you're a musical fan. And so, and although we disagree on the movie and whether or not Les Mis <laughs> was a good <laughs> casting choice for Russell Crowe, we can disagree all the, all day long on this, oh, but there's a line in oh, one of the songs. There's a line in one of the songs at the very end of Les Mis that says to love another person is to see the face of God. Uh, and yeah. I, I love that. I love that line, but to love ourselves is like Mm. being God. It is so much different and there is so much value in loving others. But when we love ourselves, it is more power than we could ever understand. Yes. Because as much as I thought that I loved others before I loved myself as God, I, I didn't know how to love them. I didn't understand. And it wasn't until You can until only do it halfway if you're not way. doing it as yourself. It's, exactly. It has to start with you. It's really the opposite of, of selfish. It is, mm-hmm. it is the origin point of all love. Like you have to find it within you and then you can start shining it outwards. And when you I do agree. that, what's, what's profound is that this, this light that you used to shine out, that was love were these, these beams of light and they were lovely and they were real. They were, they were there, they were real. Mm-hmm. But then when you love yourself in this way and you turn that light out, like it's no longer beams of light, like it is the sun and it yeah. is so bright and it is so strong. And you're like, Oh my God, how did that just come out of me? Like, I didn't know that I could do that. And it is, it's uh, powerful. It's like magic. It is. It's really good. It is. I'm like, I'm so glad that we did this. 
I by the way. <laughs> I know. And now, like, I just have this amazing image of us all, like, our chests just opening up with just suns. Like, everyone, everyone <laughs> with these beautiful suns. And I just, oh, just beautiful. Sierra, thank you. Thank you so much for coming back for, like, the sixth attempt. <laughs> and for just being so free and open with your with your heart and your thoughts and it was beautiful and I think you're amazing. Thank you. And thank you for having I'm so glad you're doing this. I can't wait to see what more you do cuz you've you've always had an impact and doing it on purpose is just going to be so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I need to get that on a sign. Let's hear doing it on purpose. It's perfect. Yeah, I like it. All right. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider taking the time to like, rate, review, and share. Let's make sure that when someone clicks on this podcast, that our voices are the loudest. Love you all. There once was a woman who lost her way. She wandered through thickets and thorns. They told her her pain was not but the price of finding her soul again. Silent, she was silent, but she'll carry her pain no more. Silent, she was silent. But you can.